Welcome to the podcast of Peace NBC. Our mission is to reach everyone who is someone in the eyes of the Lord. Listen to this mighty word of God that will bless you. We hope you are touched and blessed by this podcast. To connect with this ministry or for more about Peace NBC, visit our website or email us at pmbc at peacembchurch.org. Come grow with Come peace. Grow with Come peace. Grow with So we're going to jump right in to the word of the Lord. In three out of every five marriages, it is recorded that one spouse feels misunderstood. When they ask these spouses, why is it that you feel this way? Everybody has a different answer. Some of them say, I feel this way because I feel unlovable. Because I feel unlovable, I'm overcompensating to demand that my needs are met. Some of them say, I'm a little clingy, needy, have a tendency to become codependent in my relationships. I give more than I get back, but I never seem to get what I give. I find myself feeling as though my spouse just doesn't get me. And the reality is, is that a lot of these people, while they feel this way, their spouses have no idea that they feel all by themselves. Imagine being in a relationship, sitting on the couch. One day your spouse comes in the room, says, we need to talk. Now, if you've been in a relationship for any length of time, those words, we need to talk, can swing one or two ways. Either we about to have a good conversation All the rest of my night, it's going to be a time. And not a good one at that. They come into the room and they say, we need to talk. I don't feel as though you hear me. I don't feel like you get me. I don't feel as though you really understand me. And they look back at you and say, well, since you bring it up, I feel like you are changing on me. I feel like you ain't the same person you used to be. Feel like I'm married to a stranger. The beautiful thing I love about the Bible is the Bible lets us know that the challenges we face in our everyday life are not so uncommon. There's a myriad of stories in the Bible that could speak to different situations we've all faced. Our text this morning is coming from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 6 and verse 20. The book of 2 Samuel, chapter 6 and verse 20. I'm going to ask that we stand for the reading of God's word. Book of 2 Samuel, chapter 6 and verse 20, reading out of the New American Standard Bible, it says, But when David returned to bless his household, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel distinguished himself today. He uncovered himself today in the eyes of his servants. Maids, as one of the foolish ones, shamelessly uncovers himself. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Father in heaven, it is our plea and our petition 
that while we are gathered together in your name, we do not gather amiss. We gather, yes, we gather to glorify you. Yes, we gather to worship you. But more importantly, God, we gather to hear a word from you. Now, Father, it is our prayer that you would speak to us. Speak to us in the unique way that only you can, for only you know the challenges we face, what we stand in need of, and what we came to hear. Now, God, speak. Let these lips of clay not do you injustice, but let your word go forth and speak to the barrels of our soul. Father, we thank you for what you're getting ready to say to us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Do me a favor, if you could, I know how we do, just find somebody you probably ain't did this to, and just look at them and say, neighbor, neighbor. you're not who I thought you were. Look at another neighbor and just say, neighbor, neighbor. you're not who I thought you were. Here in our text, the Bible paints a story for us. If you allow me a few moments to lay the ground, I'll get out of your way. Throughout the fifth chapter of 2 Samuel, David is lauded for his character. We see the character of David all throughout this chapter. It shows us how David is a man of wisdom. He's a man of humility. He's a man of faith. David is here in the fifth chapter. He is hailed as king over all Israel. As a matter of fact, if you were to go over to Israel today, there's a star on their flag and they call it the star of David. David would probably go down in history as the most influential and impactful king Israel ever had. The Bible picks up our narrative in chapter 5 where David, immediately after his elevation, is confronted by his enemies. And I'll park right there for just a moment because it seems to me that the minute you are elevated, the minute God promotes you, that the minute God lifts you up, here come the crabs to try to pull your leg down into the barrel because they can't seem to figure out how in the world is it you that God has lifted up. So David here is, finds himself trying to get a land. Before David becomes king, Jerusalem doesn't belong to Israel. David has to acquire it. He acquires it by going to battle with the Jebusites. And it's a difficult thing because Jerusalem was a stronghold. It was a fortress. It was almost impenetrable. It sat on the top of a hill and was surrounded by valleys. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in verse 6 in chapter 5, the Bible says that the Jebusites look at David and say, you shall not come in here. But the blind and the lame will turn you away. In other words, they were dismissing David's military acumen. They didn't believe that David even had it in him to defeat them. So much so as to insult him by saying, we ain't even got to fight. We'll let the blind and those that can't walk and can't move right fight our battles. It's amazing how your enemies will size you up before even knowing who's fighting with you. So David, David, David is preempted here. Tell David, you cannot come in here. But the Bible says, nevertheless, David captured the stronghold Zion. So much to preach about in the text, but this ain't my point. But the point is that God has a way of creating opportunity where your enemies create impossibility. David tells them, listen, not only am I going to take it, but I'm going to call it the city 
of David. The Bible says that over time, David becomes greater and greater. But David rules with a certain swag. Has a certain moxie about himself. David is a man of faith. The Bible goes on in chapter 5 to talk about how David is now confronted by the Philistines. Now, it's one thing to be promoted and enemies show up. But it's a whole nother thing to be promoted and the enemy you thought went away shows up. The Philistines are not a new enemy to David. David fought the Philistines before. As a matter of fact, Saul has a constant battle with the Philistines. And every time he wanted to deal with them, he would send David out there. Really, Saul wanted David dead, so he figured if I keep sending David out here one of these days, he's going to die. But David just kept coming back, so much so, Saul got a little jealous because it seemed like every time David came back, the women got happier and happier about David. So David goes to war with the Philistines. He fights this battle with them. Then we get to chapter 6. In chapter 6, David has some unfinished business. Not only has he gotten Jerusalem, but it can't be the house or the place of God if God is not present. So David says, with all this land we have, there's an item I've got to get. And so David puts together an army so that he can go get the Ark of the Covenant. Now, a lot of us like to go to our storage houses and get things that really mean something to us. In many of our grandmother's houses, there would be three pictures on the wall. One of Jesus... One of Dr. King and one of Mr. Kennedy. And it wasn't right if they didn't have them big, thick, white Bibles that nobody read. But they just kept on the table and tell you, don't touch it. You're going to mess up God's anointing in this house. The Ark of the Covenant was the symbol of God's presence for the nation of Israel. Inside of it contained the tablets that he wrote the Ten Commandments on. It contained the manna that fell from heaven as a reminder that if God fed you before, he'll do it again. It, it contained the rod that Aaron had that budded to show that God can grow anywhere out of nothing. David said, I got to get this ark back. David devises a plan. He puts together a platoon of men to go get the ark. And while they're going, they go to the house of Abinadab. Go to the house of, of Abinadab, and there's two men that are standing in front of the ark. One is named Uzzah, and another, the other one is named Akio. They're standing there, and during the procession, something happens. Now, to go back a little bit, everybody couldn't touch the ark of the covenant. And I would argue that even today, we know a fake when we see one. We know a phony when we see everybody can't proclaim to be a child of God. And God ain't going, as my granny would say, find them out. So there had to be men who were of a certain lineage that could even touch the Ark of the Covenant. The Bible says that they are traveling with the ark and the oxen caused the, ark, the cart to stumble. They had to put it on a new cart because where they had it at it, something happened. So they are traveling down this road and the ark stumbles. And others are doing what he thinks is right. Stretches out his hand to stabilize the ark. And the Bible says... Even in his good intentions, 
He disobeys God and falls dead. And that's a lesson for us that even though we might have the right intention, we can't move without the Lord. Hazard touches the ark and he falls dead and immediately, Bible tells us, immediately Uzzah falls dead and David is angry. But David isn't just upset. David is scared. Imagine the last time you came to church, you had a bad encounter with God. The preacher talked about you so bad, you didn't want to come back to church. Everybody looked at you, you felt convicted. You said, no, I'm going to leave that church right where it's at. And if we be honest, some of us do it. The minute we hear a word that we don't like, we stay home. The minute the choir don't sing a song we want, we stay home. The minute somebody don't greet us in the name of the Lord, we stay home. So David, the Bible says, David said, no, mm -mm. I'm going to leave this ark here at Obed-Edom's house. Three months. Let Obed-Edom deal with all this because I don't want nothing to do with whatever this ark got going on. Somebody done made God mad. I don't want to be nowhere around when his anger come back. David had enough sense to know God sometimes strike more than once. David said, listen, if God going to strike again, I don't want to be nowhere in the midst. Y'all know what we used to say. Let me get on over here before God strike you. David would, David left the ark. The Bible says over time, David got word from Obed-Edom's house. David got word that it didn't quite work out the way he thought it was going to work out. He got word that instead of God being angry with Obed-Edom, the Bible says that God blessed Obed-Edom and his house the whole time he had the ark. David said, well, I need to go back to church. If God's handing out blessings, I want to be where the Lord's favor is. David goes and he gets the ark of the covenant. David is so happy, he's so excited that while they were marching with the ark, the Bible says that David offers up a sacrifice unto God. He offers up this sacrifice and he's dancing with all his might. Now, now I didn't really understand this, but I had a thought growing up. I said, if David danced anything like a Baptist fit, Oh, that was some shown up dancing David was doing. The Bible says that David danced with all his might, so much so that he danced out of his clothes. You got to really be dancing. Now, I done seen folks dance out their shoes. I don't think I ever seen somebody dance out their clothes. The Bible says he had a linen ephod, which is an overcoat. And the linen ephod fell off while David was dancing. Now, David didn't wear just any ordinary ephod. Uh, he wore the ephod of a king. It was bedazzled and it jazzled, if you will. It was, it, it, it was nice price. It would be what we call Gucci and Louis Vuitton. And y'all know the mother names. I, I don't get into all of that. But David danced out of it. And I believe he might have danced and stepped on it. A couple of times. Might have just stumped on it like we do some bugs and roaches that run around and stepped on it. He had no concern about the ephod because he was so happy that God was coming back to the city of David. I got to work this if I can. But the Bible says... And all the house of Israel was banging up the ark with shouting and the sound of a trumpet. And the Bible says then it happened as the ark was coming into the city. David's wife just so happened to be looking out the window. 
She looks out the window and sees David stumping on her Gucci. She sees David dancing out of his clothes. And the Bible says that she despised David. Now, when I got to this part, I got a little confused because in 1 Samuel, out chapter 14, the Bible says that McCall loved David. She had a thing for David. Y'all know how we say she, she was fresh on the boy. But when she sees him dancing as though one of the common men, the Bible says that she despises the man that she loves. And in this, I discovered a problem. Thank you for being patient. I discovered that we can become so familiar with our spouses. We may lose our ability to recognize when God is using them or when it's the devil. McCall had gotten so close to her husband that she lost her ability to discern when it was God or if it was really not God. And I've discovered that exposure can distort your perspective. Let me teach this for a moment because McCall had exposure to a king. She grew up as a king's daughter. She watched her father wear that ephod. She saw how her father would prance and sashay around the kingdom. She saw how he treated the servants and what type of dignity he may have walked with. She had exposure. The problem is, though, the way her father acted distorted how she thought a king ought to act. So she grew up thinking that the way my daddy is as king is the way anybody else ought to be. As king. Now Saul might not have been the right example. Because Saul had routinely behaved in a way that wasn't right unto God. He was a deceiver. He was a liar. A backstabber. A divination worker. A gossiper. He was what we would call, in his mind at least, a premeditated murderer. Saul had spent years trying to figure out a way to kill David. This is the exposure that McCall has to the king. So in her mind, if my daddy acts like this, and this becomes my expectation of my husband. I want to talk to a few parents in the room. Might want to write this. The behavior you demonstrate today will become your child's expectation tomorrow. I'm going to say it again. The behavior you demonstrate today will become your child's expectation tomorrow. And the issue is, is that when you have that kind of exposure, it makes you think that what you see is normal. And I've learned that in our expectations, not only will exposure create a problem, but proximity will create a problem. Because proximity will often cause overlook the value of another person or the lack thereof when you get too close. You can overlook whether or not a person means well or not. You can take for granted the good things about a person too close. Think about it. She had been so close to her husband 
that she was so busy looking at his crown. She didn't take the time to look at his heart. The Bible tells us that David was a unique man. He had been consistent in his heart toward his people. Don't believe me. Ask his father's sheep. The Bible says David was out tending the sheep and a bear showed up. David said, I ain't going to let no bear devour what I'm in charge of overlooking. Says a lion showed up. David had enough courage to fight the lion. David, it's almost like David had been groomed to lead. The Bible tells us that David, even in the story of David and Goliath, I think sometimes we forget David didn't show up to fight. He showed up to feed. John Lewis would say, sometimes your heart will lead you into good trouble. David went down there to feed some soldiers. He heard some Philistines talking some trash. And David said, well, if nobody else is going to step to the plate. I believe he said what Deacon Collins used to say, here I am, Lord. Use me. David had this kind of heart. And I believe that we now can learn from proximity. On our cell phones, there's a little indicator that pops up. It tells you you need to back up a little bit. If you're too far, it'll tell you you need to get a little closer. What the camera is trying to tell you is that your distance or your proximity will determine how you see things. And if you ever want a clear picture, you can't be too close, you can't be too far. And this is McCall's issue. She wasn't looking at the heart of her husband. She was only looking at the benefits of the kingdom. And so we get to the root of our problem. That you can love a person and not get them. The Bible says that McCall despised David. She had developed contempt for him because he demonstrated an action that she didn't expect. You ever had a conversation with your spouse and they didn't respond the way you thought they was going to respond? They didn't do what you thought they was going to do. But if we be honest, McCall's problem isn't really that David didn't respond to her expectation. David didn't respond the way she would have responded. David didn't act the way she would have acted. And sometimes we want that to happen in our relationships. We want you to meet us with that same energy we come at you with. And if you don't, we're mad. Because we ain't got nobody to fight. We, 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 we looking for a fight. They said, no, nah, mm, going on now. Now you going to talk to me. Yeah, I talk when you calm down. Here we are, boiling hot. Ready to tear something up. And if we're not careful, we have to do some patchwork later because we done punched some holes in the wall, broke some dishes, knocked down some things, and we're standing a dog on it. Why I let them get me this man? And I believe that this is because when we are not watching our spouses, we can miss the ship. The biggest lie when people get married, is we go into a marriage thinking it's going to be the same. Oh, this person I love, oh, they ain't going to never change. They're going to date me the same way, take me out the same way, spend the same amount of money. It's just all going to be sweet. And then when they change, you don't love me no more. 
you don't want to date me. No more. Y'all know they get that fake crying, but you know, you don't want, you don't want, what you why, why you don't treat me the same? Right? You don't even buy me nothing new no more. You give me hand-me-downs. Am I? I I'm the only one. And we accuse our spouses of changing when the reality is they may just have matured. You can't go on as many dates because we're trying to accomplish some goals. You don't get as much allowance because if I take from here to give to you, I got to find a way to replenish where I borrowed from. And if we're not careful, we'll be like so many other people. We'll be robbing Peter to try to pay Paul. But yet, we got on Gucci and we got on Louis Vuitton. There is a problem in David and McCall's relationship because she is now in the place where she doesn't get her husband. So I've learned We've got to have some solutions. Because surely McCall isn't the only one. By the tell of y'all laughs, some of us in here have looked at our spouse and said, this Negro is not the same. And I've learned that you've got to get on one accord spiritually with your spouse. I got to go home, and I can't keep y'all all day either. You got to increase your empathy and understanding. Got to learn your spouse's background and how they look at things. So if we're ever going to solve the problem, you've got to understand that unity comes from a mutual agreement. The only way we're ever going to be unified. We've got to come to an agreement. The Bible informs us in Amos chapter 3 and verse 3. It says, can two walk together except they be agreed? You ought to tap a neighbor and say, neighbor, we can't go nowhere if we're not on the same page. Uh, yes, yes, we, we, we will never get any further if we don't come to an agreement. This is why God has given us counselors. He's given us counselors because counseling is the secret or the recipe to how you can get on one accord. Uh, it's in counseling that you learn about your spouse's budgeting habits. It's in counseling that you learn about their expectation for intimacy. It's in counseling that you learn where they want to live and what they like to eat. But if you've never been through counseling, uh, you can't get on one accord. And I know we sometimes we go into counseling. With the expectation we're going to turn over every stone. And we ain't going to leave no uh, I undotted and no T uncrossed. But the reality is you can ask all the questions you want. But you're still going to miss something. Uh, I don't care how many tests you take. You ain't going to learn everything in the curriculum. Because there are some things that only time can solve. Uh, there are some things that only time will reveal to you anything without God won't stand. And, 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 and the reason why you've got to get on one accord, because over time, God will show you where you might get a little loose in your entanglement. The Bible, the Bible reminds us of the benefits of time. It tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 uh, and verse 1. It says to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Go down a little further. It tells us there's a time to mourn. 
Uh, and a time to dance. It tells us there's a time to cast away stones uh, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get and a time to lose. There's going to be some times in your relationship where you get off the same page, where you find out something new that you didn't know before, where you find yourself feeling as if you are all alone. I know some people feel like their marriage is perfect. But like my granddaddy used to tell me, just live a little bit. Yeah, we know, we, we know when people first get together, they love each other real good. They, they love it, dovey. They real happy. Can't keep their hands off each other. I told one of my friends, he said, do you cuddle with your wife? I said, I used to. I said, but now I want my side of the bed. Can I, can I just be honest? I get hot. I want to sleep on the cold side. I want to throw my covers off and not feel like I got to wrap back up again. But only time is going to give you the ability to understand what you might misunderstand. You ready to go? There's a last element to our solution. And the last element, if you let Alfred Adler, an Austrian psychologist, say it, he says empathy is seeing with the eyes of another, listening with the ears of another, and feeling with the heart of another. In other words, empathy is trying to understand what another person is feeling. It's seeing the world through another's eyes. And I would argue that one of the problems we have is we don't spend enough time putting ourselves in our spouse's shoes. Uh, we want the world to be the way we want it to be. We want them to do the way things the way we want them to do it. But have you ever taken the time to think about maybe they're just stressed today? Uh, maybe they're going through some things. And to get back to our text, this is the problem with David and McCall. McCall is only looking from her perspective. She's not looking at David through David's eyes. And we find this out in the text because David answers her in the 21st verse. And he says to McCall, he says, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord and over Israel. Now notice what he says is you didn't have anything to do with what God is doing in my life. You didn't have anything to do with where God brought me. Because before we got together, God had a plan for my life. For the Bible says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Thoughts of good and not of evil. Now, God had a plan for David before he ever got with McCall. And David says, because God had a plan, I'm going to celebrate before the Lord because God did this thing. And if we be honest, we've got to learn how to tell our spouse, you ain't got nothing to do with what God's got for me. You are just a contribution. You are just an appetizer. You are just a compliment to what God has for my life. And if we be honest, uh, this is the spirit in which we need to operate. Um, as I go to my seat, I want to tell you that Jesus himself knows what we deal with. I know McCall might not feel as though David is the right type of man. I know some of us feel like we're not married to the right type of person. But when you don't have somebody to call, you can call on Jesus. The Bible lets us know in Hebrews chapter 4 and 14, for we have not a high priest. Uh, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, uh, but was in all points tempted like as we are, uh, yet 
without sin. In other words, the Bible is saying that we have a Jesus who knows our pain. He knows what we deal with and he knows what we go through. Isaiah told us, he said that he is born our grief. He was wounded for our transgressions. The Bible lets us know that Jesus knows what we are dealing with because he's touched uh, by what we go through. He's touched uh, by your late night cries. He's touched uh, by your feelings of rejection. He's touched uh, by your feelings of abandonment. And he's touched uh, by your feeling alone. Jesus knows uh, what it feels like uh, to be wounded uh, and nobody gets it. Uh, He knows uh, what it feels like uh, to be talking uh, and nobody's listening. Uh, He knows uh, what it's like to be married um, and your spouse um, doesn't reciprocate uh, because the Bible says uh, that we uh, are the bride of Christ, uh, but we're not always acting. Like the bride of Christ, we do what we want to do, say what we want to say, live how we want to live, but yet Jesus, he's never left us because Jesus, he's empathetic, he looks at the world through our eyes and says, I get it. I know why they do what they do. I understand why they do it. And if you were to ask Jesus, how do you know how they're thinking? He would tell you that on a hill called Calvary, I carried a cross and was lifted up and I died for the sins of the world. They would tell Jesus, how do you know how they feel? He said, because I was beaten and I was smitten and I was afflicted for them. They said, Jesus, how do you know how they feel? He said, because when they cry, I have angels that bottle up their tears. When they parade, I collect their prayers. They said, Jesus, how do you know He said, I know because I didn't have to die. He said, I know because I could have said something, but I didn't say nothing. He said, how do you know? He said, I know because when I had the chance, I said, let this cup pass from me whatsoever be the will of God. But he didn't just die. He didn't just die. I said he didn't just die. But one morning he got up. He was in the tomb. And the Bible says that he sat up on the side of the block, folded up his clothes, laid him in a place and he walked up to the door and I believe if I could just use my imagination he walked up to the door and he knocked one time he walked up to the door and he knocked another time he said why am I knocking I'm Jesus. He whispered to the stone. And the Bible says that the stone rolled away. He walked out. He looked around. He said, I've got work that I've got to do. He saw Mary in the garden. She wanted to touch him. He said, wait a minute. I ain't gone yet. But when I get done, I'll come back to you. So then he said, I got to take a trip. He went down to hell. He took some keys with him. He went down to hell. He walked up to the gate. He said, excuse me, Satan. I got some business here because I heard I heard their cries. He opened the gate and let the captives free. And then he came back up. He said, before I leave, I got to make a stop. He knocked on the door. And the Bible says, Thomas came to the door. He said, who is it? Jesus said, it's me. He said, I don't believe that it's you. He said, what do you mean? Look at my hands. Do you see the nails? Look at my feet. 
Do you see the holes? He said, it's me. I've come back. I've come back like I said I would. But he got up for you and I. But not only did he get up, but he got up so that we could have a right to the tree of life. is you've got an opportunity you've got the chance to come on in you got a chance open up your door that's what they used to say open up your door heist up your window and let the Lord come on in and I would leave you on this point that you've got to let God come on in he didn't die to stay out of your life. He didn't die to stay out of your marriage. He didn't die to stay out of your wallet. He didn't die to stay out of your community. But he died. He died. He died so that you could let him come on in. You got to invite him in the middle of it. Whatever you're going through, you got to let God be in the middle because he's a mediator, which means he stands in the gap. He hears what you're saying. We're down here praying. Lord, do it. Lord, do it. I need you to make a way. I need you to open the door. We're praying. Satan, get out of my life. Satan, get out of my marriage. Jesus hears what you're saying. He turns around, looks at your situation, and says, in the blood of Jesus, you got to go loose your hold on my children. I got to get out of here. But the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, the fourth chapter and the twelfth verse, it says a strand, a three-chord strand is not easily broken. I want to leave you with this point. Keep God in the middle of your marriage. Keep God in the middle of your home. Keep God in the middle of your mind. You ought to put God all over you. In your mind, in your heart, in the way you walk. Because when Jesus is in the middle, you'll read together. When Jesus is in the middle, you'll fast together. You'll pray together. You'll study together. But that's not the best thing. When he's in the middle, you'll stay together. Have I got a witness? I could have lost it all. Have I got a witness? I could have lost my mind. But I let Jesus, I let Jesus come in the middle. And since I let him, my life has never been the same. Got to let Jesus in the middle. It's easy for us to lose sight. I always tell people, your marriage might be good now. Stay married. You're going to run into some trouble. You're going to run into a disagreement. I had friends tell me, man, I'll never argue with my wife. I said, you don't talk to her then. And not that I'm promoting arguing. But because we are unique people, we will have disagreements. But David, what I love about it is we see David's character even in his response. He didn't demean his wife. He didn't disrespect his wife. He just told her facts. He said, listen, what I'm doing ain't got nothing to do with you. What I'm doing... I would have did without you. And I believe David, in other words, might have said it like, if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, 
Where would I be? I believe David had that word to her. And the Bible says he said it this way. He says, I will be more lightly esteemed than this. And will be humble in my own eyes. But with the maids of whom you have spoken with them, I'll be distinguished. McCall looked down on common people. And David said, listen, you might lose your respect for me. But I serve at the pleasure of the Lord. And as long as God's people are happy with my service, that's God's answer that I'm doing enough. And I want to say this to those who are in marriages and relationships. Work to gain the favor of your spouse. Don't walk away and say, well, if they aren't going to be wrong, they're going to be wrong. No, that's you. Because when you get married, you are one. And if there's a diseased part of you, you ought to be trying to do everything you can to heal yourself. It's important. The end of the story doesn't end so happy. Because McCall never worked to get on the same page, the Bible says that she had no child to the day of her death. I don't want a disagreement in my marriage to cause God to make the rest of my life unfruitful. And we don't think about things like that, but what you do to people is what God will in turn and turn around and do to you. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We hope you were touched and blessed by what you have heard. Remember to follow us on social media. For more info about Peace NBC, visit us at www.peacenbchurch.org. If you would like to support this ministry and help us reach more souls, visit our website and click Give into this ministry. Be blessed, and we will see you next time. Peace in BC Podcast. Podcast. Podcast.